The following message, entitled, The Secret to the Good Life, was given by Mark Altrogi on the 17th of March, 2013, at Sovereign Grace Church of Indiana, Pennsylvania. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. Well, good morning again, everybody. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. I also want to say welcome if this is your first Sunday. And if it's your second or third, welcome. Great to have you here. One quick announcement. There actually is no resolved meeting this week. So college students, there is no resolved meeting this week. All right, please turn to Psalm 34, and while you're turning there, the title of this message is The Secret to the Good Life. The Secret to the Good Life. Everybody's trying to figure out how to be happy. Well, maybe not everybody, but most people seem to be trying to figure out how to be happy. And lots of people are giving advice on how to be happy. Some think it's in self-expression or acceptance by others or achievement. There's an author named Gretchen Rubin and she wrote a book called The Happiness Project. And it was an account of the year she spent trying out the wisdom of the ages, as well as current scientific studies and lessons from popular culture about how to be happier. The Happiness Project. I haven't read it. I wrote it. Is that right, Joe? (laughs) I could have written a couple chapters in there. Solomon... King Solomon himself was in his search for happiness. And in chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes, he says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. Goes on and says, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. Now, personally to me, I have never ever been successful with a garden. I would have no desire. That, that wouldn't make me happy. But apparently, Solomon thought planting uh, fruit trees would make him happy. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. And you know what Solomon said at the end of all of that? It's all vanity. Didn't bring him any happiness. Everybody's looking for the secret to the good life. I I checked out one website that gave 25 secrets for the good life. I figured I'll check them out and uh, that that ought to 25 ways to have the good life. Uh, here's a few of them. Live today. Wow, that is 
That is deep. <laughs> now, they, each of these had little explanations with them. But, wow, live today, okay. Uh, maintain balance. <laughs> Forgive and forget. That, accept change as part of life. Visit places you've never been. Well, what if you just can't travel? What if you can't afford it? I guess you can't have the good life. Read books. Attend classes. IUP students, you're living the good life. <laughs> Attend classes. Capture the moments. Here's a good one. Smile. Join a club. Spend time with the young ones. I bet there's some young moms here who say, I don't know. <laughs> Here's one I like. Open your ears to the elders. Yes. Here's another one. Notice in the same list that it said smile, here's one that says cry. It didn't say this, but they might have had as an explanation, watch Downton Abbey. Here's, here's one I like. Take a break. But right after saying take a break, it says work smart, not hard. Be yourself. Start caring. That's what I tell my wife all the time. No, I'm just kidding. None, none of these 25 things that they listed though would be the biblical secret to the good life. And we're, we're going to read that in Psalm 34. And so we'll, let's read it together. Psalm 34, of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Just a little spoiler. That's the secret to the good life. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him have no lack. It's also the secret to the good life. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O oh children, listen to Me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. 
Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and His ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked. And those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of His servants. None of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You that You want us to have the good life. That You came, Jesus, and died so that we could come to God and enjoy Him forever. So Lord, we, we, we just ask You, Lord, please speak to us through Your Word, by Your Spirit. Open the eyes of our hearts. We can see wonderful things in Your Word. Change us, Lord, through Your Word, by Your power. Lord, I pray that this Word of Yours would would benefit every one of us for the rest of our lives. I pray, Lord, that You would do something for Your glory this morning. Powerfully work in us, Lord. Thank You that Your Word is powerful. In Jesus' name, Amen. The secret to the good life is to seek and fear the Lord at all times. The secret to the good life is to seek and fear the Lord at all times. Now, what's a little, a little bit of background on this psalm. See, David, David gives us a little background at the very beginning when it says, Psalm 34, of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. In 1 Samuel 21, verses 10-15, through 15, we read that David fled for his life from Saul and he went to the Philistine city of Gath, G-A-T-H, to take refuge under the king Achish. Achish was his personal name. Abimelech was the royal name of the Philistine kings. And David may have hoped to serve this guy temporarily as a hired mercenary. But when he's there, the servants of the king recognize him. And they say, is not this David the king of the land? Now David wasn't actually king yet, but he was the hero of Israel. And they said, did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Now David was in extreme danger right now because the servants are saying to this Philistine king, here's your chance. You can imprison this guy or you can kill this guy. David is in extreme danger and he was, he was probably terrified. And in Psalm 34, he describes what he did. We don't see that in 1 Samuel, but what happens is David acts like a madman. His spit running down his beard, his face. He's, he's 
takes his hands and he's digging his fingers into the gates. Scratching these gates. I'm thinking, man, he must have been frightened if he was willing to break his fingernails. Act so crazy that he would dig his fingernails into these wooden gates and drag them down. And the king sees David acting like a madman and he, is, he says, don't I have enough madmen already that you're going to bring one more? Get rid of him. And so David escapes. And David then, he comes back and he writes Psalm 34. Later, he says, I, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. David recognized that God had saved him. God had given him that idea to act like that. It was, David wasn't saying, I am so smart I outwitted that king. No, he's, he's saying, God rescued me. God spared my life. So I'm making a commitment because God spared me. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. I'm going to talk about what God did. I'm not going to boast about myself. And let the humble hear. Let the humble, let, let everybody else who is, is willing to admit how weak they are, let everybody else who knows they can't save themselves hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. And so this is what we do every Sunday. We gather together to magnify the Lord. We see, we see more of God's greatness when we're all together and we're singing His praises and we're talking about how great the Lord is. When, when, when we magnify things, we can see something more of their beauty and greatness. I was sharing with some folks yesterday, a few years ago, my son Johnny had a, had a telescope. And one summer night, he says, Dad, come on out here and look in this thing. And I went out and I looked in the telescope and I saw Saturn. It was this round white ball with these clear these these rings going around it. It was it was magnified. And when I saw it, I just was overwhelmed by the greatness of God. I was thinking, this thing is millions and millions of miles away. How great God is to sustain this universe and uphold the rings around Saturn. See, it was, it was magnified and it became greater in my eyes than just seeing this little twinkling spot in the sky. And so, David says, let's all talk about how great God is. Let's magnify Him together and we'll, we'll all see how good He is. We'll exalt His name together. That's why Paul urges us in 1 Thessalonians 5, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18. Why, why does Paul say rejoice always? Because he's saying 
be like David who recognized what God did for him. If we could, if we could constantly be just recognizing what, what God did for us when He saved us, when He rescued us from our sins, when He poured out His wrath on Jesus, so He wouldn't have to pour it out on us. That's a reason to praise God constantly. To thank Him. Even in the midst of afflictions, hardships, we can bless God and still rejoice. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear. Like I said, David doesn't say, let me, let me tell you how smart I am. I outwitted the king of Gath. No, he says, I boast in God. Let the humble hear. God is for the humble. God helps the humble, not the self-sufficient. Isn't that good news? Because sooner or later, every one of us is going to find out we're not self-sufficient. So it's just better to be humble. I, I often think to myself, I would rather attempt to grow in humility as much as I possibly can rather than have God have to humble me. Because God loves humility. So David was, was committed to worship and it was because of what God did for him and he shares a little bit of his personal testimony. In verse 4 he says, I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. So when he was in captivity, when, when he was in danger, when he realized that the servants of the king had seen who he is, who he was, and, and gone to the king, he was terrified. And what did he do? I sought the Lord. I prayed. I was afraid. And God delivered me from all my fears. And that's why I'm praising God because He delivered me from all my fears. And then in verse 5, he says, those who look to Him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and delivers them. Oh, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. When he says, when David says, those who look to Him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. He's not just saying, smile. Now what, what he means is this. They are not disappointed. When he says, their faces shall never be ashamed, means that when we look to Jesus in our trials and afflictions and hardship, when we look to Jesus in the midst of our fears, we won't be disappointed. He will help us. It's a promise from God. This psalm, I love Psalm 34. I regularly call various parts of it to mind. Whenever you're going through a hard time, turn to Psalm 34. There are such wonderful promises. Those who look to Him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. We won't be disappointed. God doesn't disappoint those who seek Him. Think about Think about Moses. When Moses met face to face with God and he came down from the mountain, his face was radiant. He was shining with the glory of God. When we 
turn to God in our troubles. When we turn to God, we, we become more like Jesus. God's glory can shine through us in our troubles when we're turning to God. And we won't be disappointed. Let me ask you this question. Do you think anyone in heaven who suffered in their lifetime as a believer, obviously if they're in heaven, do you think any of them are saying, man, I, I'm disappointed. It's not as good as I thought it would be. You know, that, that, that eternal weight of glory that God said, in, that His Word said my suffering was producing somehow, it doesn't seem that great. I, I guarantee you there is no one in heaven who is disappointed. God will not disappoint those who seek Him. And he says, David says, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. See, again, the humility of David. I'm a poor man who just turned to God and He saved me. So, if you feel like I'm, I'm a poor man, I'm a poor woman. I have nothing to offer God. That's great. Because then you won't be tempted to boast in yourself. Turn to God. Verse 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and delivers them. Well, God, God assigns His angels to care for His children. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him. Encamps around. That means God surrounds us constantly. He never takes a break. He is with us wherever we go. Think of secret service men surrounding the President. They are constantly around the President. There's never a, a time the secret service aren't there. Right now, there are angels all around us who believe. I can't wait to see the video replay of my life in heaven, which I, I have no biblical grounds to, to tell you that there's going to be one. <laughs> but if there is one, I, I hope you can actually see the angels there and God moving in every circumstance of your life. My life, I'll, I'll say, wow, if only I had just thought about those angels all around me. What, what was I worried about? And then David says, come and experience God's goodness. Verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Taste. Taste. When, when David says taste and see, he's talking about personal experience. That the Lord is good. This isn't theory. This isn't just a philosophy. This isn't just us kind of trying to be stoic and bolster ourselves up with positive thinking. This is reality. God really is good. He wants us to experience it. To know it. And I, I will say the same thing. Jesus saved me in 1974. And... All through the years, 
it hasn't always been easy. And there have been various hard things to go through at times. But I will say this. I have tasted and I have seen that the Lord is good. I have experienced it. If you have never turned to Jesus, you, you, you should, you must, first of all, for the forgiveness of your sins. There's no hope for you to ever have your sins forgiven and go to heaven and escape hell apart from what Jesus did on the cross. But more than that, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't tell you to turn to Jesus just to get out of hell. I tell you to turn to Jesus because He is an abundant fountain of joy. Isn't that right? Those of you who have been walking with the Lord for a while, you, you know it. Taste and see. Now when, when we are in the midst of hard times, we're, we're tempted to take refuge in other things. And David is saying, when, when I was in a real trial, I turned to the Lord for refuge. And I saw that He was good. So, if you're, if you're going through a really hard time right now, you might, you might be tempted to turn to something else, to take refuge in something else. David says, if you take refuge in the Lord, blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. That's the secret of a good life. And here, here he goes on to tell the secret of the good life. In verse 9, he says, Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him have no lack. What, isn't that a wonderful promise? Have no lack. But you may say, but Mark, there, there are times that Christians are poor. There are times that they don't have enough money. Well, Jesus promises that He will give us everything we need to glorify God. We will not lack anything. And that's the secret. The secret is to fear the Lord. Now, to fear the Lord means to reverence God, to honor Him, to love and obey Him. It's not a fear that just grovels in front of God and is afraid God is going to strike me with lightning. No, it's a loving reverence for God. It's a recognition that God is holy and He hates sin. Therefore, I, I don't want to sin. I want to, I want to honor God. And those who have this, this reverence for God, this is the good life. And he says in verse 10, the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Now, young lions, why does he say this? Because young lions are strong. Young lions fear nothing. They take what they want. They get everything they need by their own strength and power. David may have been even thinking of certain people in his day. Oh man, that guy's a young lion. He's, got, he's, he's making his way in life. He doesn't need anything. He says, young lions suffer want and hunger. So how do you, how do you keep from lacking in God? The fear of the Lord. Oh, fear the Lord, you as saints, for those who fear Him have no lack. So the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is the secret to the good life. 
So he says, come children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? It's kind of an obvious question. What man is there who desires life, loves many days that he may see good? He's like saying, anybody here want a bad life? Who, who doesn't desire a good life? Then fear the Lord. And here's what the fear of the Lord looks like. Verse 13, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Why is he talking about keeping our tongue from evil and our lips from lying, speaking deceit? Because our words reveal what is in our hearts. Jesus said whatever comes out of our heart or out of our mouth is what's in our heart. And so if we're lying, if we're living a life of deceit, if we're speaking evil, if we're slandering people, if we're cursing, that means that we don't fear God in our heart. But when Jesus saves us, He changes our hearts. He gives us new hearts and it begins to change our speech even. And then in verse 14, He's going on talking about the fear of the Lord. He says, here's what the fear of the Lord looks like. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. In other words, seek to live a holy life. Seek to please God. And we can't do this apart from the help of Jesus. But when Jesus begins to change our hearts, then we start to say, Lord, help me live a holy life. Help me walk in a way that pleases You. Jesus, give me the grace to turn away from evil and do good. Do good to others. Seek peace and pursue it. So a new heart will result in new relationships with others. It will, will treat people differently. We'll begin to walk out the fear of the Lord. So it's, it's a life that's lived. And, and Jesus then gives us precious promises for when we are going through affliction. And so in this, very, in this next section, God says that both the righteous and the wicked go through affliction. But he says, for my children though, I give wonderful promises. The wicked don't have these promises. Now, first of all, the righteous, as believers, we know that the Bible says that no one in and of themselves is righteous in God's sight. But when we come to God and put our trust in Jesus Christ and all He did in His life and His death and resurrection, when we put all our hope in Jesus, God takes the righteousness of Christ and credits that to us and declares us to be righteous in His sight. But then, we are to walk out that righteousness. And that's that's what David is talking about. He's talking about those who walk out righteousness. Those who turn away from evil. Those who turn away from slander and, and cursing and lying and deceit. Those who are doing good to others. Those who are walking out righteousness are different than those who do not look to God, who do not trust God. 
And so, in the next few verses, he, he talks about the promises to the righteous and then what happens to the others. And so in verse 15, he says, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and His ears toward their cry. I, I think that's one of the most wonderful promises in the Bible. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and His ears toward their cry. Before Jesus rescued me, I thought God was so big and so distant and He was up in heaven and He had a whole universe to run. What did He care about my peewee little prayers? Could He even hear me? Did He even care? I pictured God sort of like that old comedian W.C. Fields. You know, get away from me, boy, you bother me. That's kind of how I pictured God. But this says, this says that the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and the ears toward His ears toward their cry. This doesn't mean that God just sees us and hears us. He says His eyes are toward the righteous to deliver us. His ears are toward us to, to, to act on our behalf. He's actively Listening. He's actively seeing in order to help us. And so as we seek to walk out righteousness in the midst of affliction, and as we cry to the Lord, we can know that He hears us. We can know that He sees us. And He sees us with compassion and mercy in order to act on our behalf. But for, the, for, for those who reject Jesus, verse 16, it says, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. See, we got the promise for following Jesus is that His eyes and ears are toward us. If you reject God, it says His face is against you. And I, I just thought that's interesting because in the Old Testament, the, the greatest blessing that, that, that the nation of Israel had was that the face of God would shine upon them. And so Psalm 67.1 says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us. That's, that's the greatest blessing that an Old Testament Israelite would have had is to know that the face of God was shining upon them. We who have trusted in Jesus have an even greater blessing to look forward to. And that is seeing Jesus face to face in heaven for eternity. And so in 1 John 3, 2, it says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. So we have that blessing to look forward to. But the wicked, it says, they will have the face of the Lord against them. And so in Revelation chapter 6, it says, Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? So blessing for those who turn to Jesus, but the face of the Lord against you is wrath. 
Those are the only two choices we have in this life. Those are the only two camps. All of us will see the face of the Lord. You will either see the face of the Lord in wrath and you would, you would be so terrified that you would be hoping mountains would fall on you and crush you. That, that's what hell is. Hell is, is experiencing the face of the Lord, but only His wrath. No mercy at all. And we all have an opportunity to turn to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I, I, You took the wrath of God so that I could escape it. I, I call upon You. Save me. Rescue me from my sins. I put all my trust in You. And if we do that, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved from the wrath of God and come into this wonderful relationship of tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. He gives more, more promises and more comparisons. He says, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. And I love this verse. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Both the righteous and the and the unrighteous will go through afflictions in this life. Nowhere does the Bible say that God's people will be spared from suffering. And so many of you know that. And he talks about, he says, the Lord delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But, the difference is, and it's, we'll talk about the unrighteous, but the difference is God is with us in our afflictions. He is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And at times, we will all have our hearts broken. And this is a sad world because it's a fallen world. Heartbreaking things happen to God's people, but when we are brokenhearted, the Lord is near to us. Jesus, our great high priest who suffered every temptation and every pain, can identify with us. And He is near to us. It's not like God's uninvolved. So if you're, if you're in pain this morning, your heart is breaking and you have called upon the Lord. He is near you. He cares for you. He deeply cares for you. He is for you. He hears your sighs. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. So, here's your choice. You can go through life and be afflicted without God. Or you can go through life and have Jesus near to you and hearing you and delivering you and strengthening you 
and helping you. And ultimately, He will deliver us out of all our afflictions. Someday, if it doesn't happen in this life, someday in the book of Revelation 21, Revelation 21, 3 and 4 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That's our hope. But look at what happens to the wicked in verse 21. Those who reject God. Affliction will slay the wicked. And those who hate the righteous will be condemned. See, we as believers, we go through affliction, but it doesn't slay us. God is near to us. God gives us strength. We keep going somehow. What a testimony to the power of God when people who are afflicted continue on, continue to trust God and continue to say, the Lord is good, even in the midst of this terrible suffering. But affliction slays the righteous. And those who hate the righteous will be condemned. But verse 22 says, The Lord redeems the life of His servants. None of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. So there's two things here. Either redeemed or condemned. Redeemed means someone has paid a price to spare you from wrath and punishment. You've been bought. You've been redeemed. So now you won't be condemned. If you're not redeemed, you will be condemned. Those are the only two choices. Ephesians 1.7 says, In Him, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. That is the greatest promise in this whole Psalm, the Lord redeems the life of His servants. None of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. Romans 8.1 says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation left. It's gone. It's been paid for. Our sins are forgiven. When we, when we die and when we go to heaven and we stand before Jesus, we won't have to be afraid of being condemned. Because all our sins have been paid for. We've been redeemed. What a promise. So let us in response. Let's imitate David. Those of us who have trusted in Jesus, and if you haven't trusted in Jesus, I urge you to do that. You can, you can call upon Him during the last song. You could call upon Him any time. Do it today, please. 
And you will be freed from condemnation and you will taste and see that the Lord is good. But for those of us who have turned to Jesus, let us commit ourselves to regularly declaring God's praises. To bless the Lord at all times. And let's ask the Lord that we could taste and see that He is good. Ask the Lord. Say, Jesus, let me experience more of Your love. Let me experience more of Your goodness. Because You have said that. You've, you've invited me. You've said, taste and see. I want to taste more. And then let's commit ourselves to seeking Him and trusting His promises when we go through affliction. So let's stand and pray. And if the band could come up. Lord Jesus, this is uh, such a wonderful psalm. It is so loaded with Your promises. Lord, I pray that You would please, in a special way, comfort all those here who are suffering or who are brokenhearted, who are in pain, any kind. And Lord, I pray that You would assure them that Your eyes are toward them, that Your ears toward their cry, and that they will not be disappointed by trusting in You through their suffering, Lord. Lord, we thank You that You promise that though many are our afflictions, that You will deliver us out of them all. And Lord, thank You that You deliver us out of many in this lifetime. Thank You for Your mercies. Many times, Lord, You, you heal us. Many times You spare us, deliver us out of problems. We thank You, but we, we thank You, Lord, that ultimately... You will deliver us in heaven from all our afflictions. Thank You for giving us hope. And thank You for giving us joy. And we desire and ask that we could taste and see that the Lord is good more and more and more in our lives. We ask that our children and that our grandchildren, we ask that every new person here, we ask that every visitor to our church would taste and see that the Lord is good. Lord, for Your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen.